Welcome to It's Time, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. On today's episode of It's Time, we'll listen to Senior Pastor Mike Kessler as he teaches in the book of 2 Samuel. This book is especially important as it focuses entirely on the life of King David, the line of Christ. Examining the triumphs and troubles of David, we can learn a lot about being a person after God's own heart. With the timely study on 2 Samuel, here's Pastor Mike. If you have your Bibles again, 2 Samuel chapter 18, let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We ask you, Lord, tonight as we spend this time in study of your word, that your Holy Spirit would again direct our thoughts and our memory, Lord, to you, and that we would be able to understand and remember these things that we learned tonight. And I just ask you again, God, that you would just uh, uh, just be blessed in all that we do in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, so we're looking at Second Samuel chapter 18 tonight. Uh, we remember that um, Ahithophel was one of uh, Absalom's counselors. Now we remember that because uh, David did not really do anything to um, Absalom's half-brother when he raped his sister, that I believe Absalom had a, a, a mistrust and an anger towards his father for quite a while. And we remember that there was a, uh, after he'd killed um, his half-brother, we remember that he retreated and, and ran away, basically. And through Joab's counsel, uh, uh, he was brought back and uh, to Jerusalem. And after a couple of years, finally David and him were, were reunited, only to have Absalom uh, go to Hebron and declare to the nation of Israel that now he was king. And so a very treacherous thing that Absalom did against his own father and, and, and having a, a, you might say, a coup, you might say. Um, and so he was able to rally the people of Israel uh, behind him because for many years when the people of Israel would have an issue, they would come to, the, to Jerusalem and uh, Absalom would station himself out in the gates. And he'd say, well, you know, I wish my dad had more time for you. And, you know, if I was king, I, I, I would give you justice because you, you really, your case is a good case and, and you need it. And so uh, by continually doing that, eventually the, the people of Israel uh, uh, were won over to Absalom's side. And so when Absalom declared himself to be king in, in Hebron, um, we, we find that, that uh, he ends up... Um, uh, uh, cloaking it all, as we remember last week, uh, saying that he had made a vow to the Lord and that he was to go back to Hebron and to uh, complete his vow. And again, this very treacherous thing that he did, cloaked in religious garb, and quite often you'll find people that do these kinds of things uh, try in some way to make it seem spiritual because they have to appease their conscience because there's something not right deep down in their soul. And so by, uh, by justifying their wickedness, by cloaking it in righteousness, uh, th- this is what Absalom did. The problem is it doesn't change the real heart and the nature of the crime or whatever it is that's been committed. And so the bottom line is, is that Absalom was still in rebellion to his father and uh, ultimately is rebellion to God. So Ahithophel was one of uh, Absalom's counselors. And Ahithophel said, listen, uh, David's tired. He's running for his life right now. Uh, he got out of Jerusalem with just a few of his men. Right now, assemble an army and go conquer him and ki- kill him and, and, and uh, it'll be yours. Uh, we remember um, Ohushai. Uh, we remember David was praying. He goes, God help. And, and before David got to the top of the hill at the Mount of Olives, Hushai comes on the scene and, and he says, I'm ready to go with you, David. And, and David said, look, 
you'll hinder me if you come with me. Evidently, he was either crippled or he was very old. He said, you go back as you were a counselor to me. You be a counselor and, and bring Ahithophel's uh, counsel to Absalom to nothing. So we remember that Hushai went down to uh, uh, Absalom and said, well, as I was a counselor to, to David, so I will be a counselor to you. And so, of course, Absalom, filled with pride, thinking, wow, even more defectors now are coming over to my side. We remember that after Ahithophel gave his advice of going and capturing David immediately, uh, well, uh, Hushai said, well, what? that counsel's not good. Uh, he's going to be like a, 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 a bear robbed of his cubs, and he's going to fight with fierceness. And just think, if you lose... That battle, if you go out to take David, it's going to look like you're a loser and people won't follow you anymore. And, and so uh, Absalom thought about it and said, yes, uh, Hushai, your advice is good. We, we, we don't want to have a, 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 a negative thing on our record by maybe losing a battle against David. And yeah, we know he's fierce. And, and so they, he did not listen to the counsel of Ahithophel. Well, Ahithophel realized because he... There's just some people that just have a real good understanding of the nature of people. And Ahithophel was one of those people. And I believe Ahithophel knew that because he did not go out and get David when he had a chance to do that, that ultimately Ahithophel counseled because it was not listened to. He knew that uh, David would ultimately win. And when he ultimately won, then Ahithophel would have been tried as a traitor uh, because he had given advice to Absalom, his son. Well, um, because I believe that's why he went. And interestingly enough, it says that he, Ahithophel, after he saw that his counsel was not heeded, they listened to Hushai instead. He said he went home to his house, put his house in order, and killed himself. Well, I don't really know that you can go home and put your house in order and kill yourself, but he did. And uh, But I, again, I believe it's because he knew that ultimately Absalom was going to lose now because he did not listen to that advice. And so anyhow, we find now that uh, in chapter 18, verse 1, in David. Now, you got to remember, David's on the lamb. He's on the run. Uh, he started off with about 600 that followed him out of Jerusalem. He crossed over the, uh, the different brooks and, and, and streams. It says that David numbered the people who were with him and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. Now, according to Josephus's writings, he's a historian, a biblical historian. His uh, works are not, of course, recorded uh, as uh, as scripture, but but he does uh, fill in some of the details for us. Some people believe they're extremely accurate. Others wonder about maybe all of them. But this particular place, they estimate that David had probably about four thousand people. When the word got out that uh, uh, Absalom had revolted against David, that they came and joined David's army of 600, now it's got to be 4,000 people, according to Josephus' writing. And so David then, understanding battle, because he was a warrior, uh, he then divides up and puts captains and, and, and has the ranks go down so that he can set his troops in battle array. Now this is probably something that uh, again, they did not have uh, concerning the the uh, Absalom probably didn't have that um, that kind of um, uh, you might say uh, history or that kind of uh, uh, pedigree. So he didn't have the the military experience that his father did. Well, then David sent out one third of the people under Joab, one third under the hand of Abishai, and the other third under Atai. 
Um, and the king said to the people, I will also surely go out with you myself. But the people answered and said, you shall not go out. For if we flee away, they will not care about us. Nor if half of us die, will they care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us now, for you now are more help to us in the city. So the king said to them, whatever seems best to you, that I will do. So the king stood beside the gate, and all the people went out by hundreds and by thousands. And so again, um, David had assembled an army relatively fast uh, to counteract the army that, that Absalom was sending. Now the king had commanded Joab... Abishai and Atai saying, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave the captains orders concerning Absalom. So uh, the reason why this is important is that I believe that again, as we look at this, we realize that, that David did not correct um, Absalom's half-brother when he raped his sister. And the reason why he didn't is because, you see, David was guilty of the same thing with Bathsheba. And so because he couldn't correct it in his own life with Bathsheba, he couldn't judge his, he couldn't judge his son because he knew that if he judged his son, he was guilty of the same crime. So he didn't do anything. But that outraged Absalom when Absalom's full sister was raped by his half-brother. And so as his half-brother then was then brought off to a sheep shearing party. Um, Absalom uh, had him killed and, um, and, and, and as, as retaliation for what he did to his sister several years beforehand. So you, you look at this and, and you begin to see the intrigue in all this, that the very thing, the very flaw in David's life and personality then now transcends into his decision-making processes, now affects the way he runs his government and you know, friends, this is something you need to always remember about sin. Sin's never static. It never stays the same. It either escalates or you ask for God to forgive you and you, and you get it out of your life or it will overtake and destroy you. Sin is something you can't really mess with. See, people say, well, God's a cosmic killjoy. He doesn't want us to have any fun, you know, because all the fun stuff, you know, is, is what I want to do. And, and God doesn't want me to do those things. Well, there's a reason why. Those things that we like to do have a hook in them, and because we tend to live only for the moment, and we don't look at our lives over a period of time the way God does, we don't see the destruction that that sin or fun that we think is, or that sin that we think is fun, the effect it's going to have in our life. And so this is why, again, David, though he repented from the sin that he did with Bathsheba, nevertheless, the consequences of whatever we do in our life, though forgiven by God, we will still live with. I've talked to people that have went out and, and went out and slept around with girls and guys and, and gotten AIDS and different things like this. And, 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 and has God forgiven them? Yes. But they still live with the consequences of those sins. And so this is why God says don't sin because he doesn't want to see us, his children, destroy ourselves. So never look at God as somebody that keeps me from having fun. Look at God as somebody that protects your life, not only today, but for the days to come. Because see, one thing, until the Lord calls us home, we're going to be here. And, and it's the quality of life and the way you live your life, the health that you live your life in, is what God's concerned about, not only today, but in the days to come. So again, this is why God does this. Well, again, Absalom. 
has this revolt against his dad because he sees the weakness in his father because his father was unwilling to deal with a rape within their own home. And so again, David feels horrible because he knows that a lot of Absalom's dysfunctionality is a direct result of David's sin. And so that's why he says, when you find Absalom, deal kindly with him for my sake. You see, anybody else that would have overthrown their father's throne immediately upon being found would be executed. But because it was David's own son, and because David, I believe, blamed himself for Absalom's behavior because of David's inability to, to deal with issues, now David is saying, don't, don't do anything to Absalom. Well, look what it says. Everybody heard the command concerning Absalom. So the people went out of the field of the uh, uh, out in the field of battle against Israel and the battle was in the woods of Ephraim and the people of Israel were overthrown there before the servants of David and a great slaughter of 20,000 men took place there on that day so most likely most of these were people that had aligned with Absalom again according to Josephus it was probably only about 4,000 of David's men so we realize what a, what a disastrous battle this was for Absalom. Well, the battle that was there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside. The woods devoured more people that day than the sword did. <laughs> uh, in other words, they ran through the brambles and the briars and the places where a rabbit wouldn't go. I mean, they, these guys were, were running and they would fall on the broken sticks and on the rocks and they would cut themselves and dash themselves open and all this kind of stuff. So what it just basically says is God wasn't behind the rebellion. And what, what's amazing here is that Absalom now realizes that his, so to speak, army and his followers are now mostly wiped out. Then Absalom met the servants of David and Absalom rode on a mule and the mule went under a thick burrow in, in, a, in a great Tiberneth tree and his head, literally his hair, uh, 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 got caught in the Tiberneth tree. So he was left hanging between heaven and earth. And the mule which was under him went on. So here he is. Guy in a tree. Just hanging there by his hair. Now we remember studying earlier that every year he'd get a haircut. Now this guy only had one haircut a year, according to what the scripture says. And every year they would cut five pounds of hair off this guy. Now, you, now you, you want to think about that for a minute. How much is it? Anybody here know about what a cantaloupe weighs? What's a cantaloupe weigh? About five pounds? Something like that? Pretty close? Imagine that. Just carrying that around in your head all the time, you know? This guy had heavy, thick hair. Insomuch that he could hang by it. He could have probably got a job in a circus. But anyway, he was hanging there. And, and as he's riding, it's probably flapping in the breeze. And it gets wrapped around a branch. And the mule rides on and he just left there hanging there. So he was caught. Uh, he couldn't get away. He was 100% intact. Well, look what it says. Now a certain man saw it and told Joab. Now remember, Joab was one of the commanders of David's army who he divided up into three different companies. And it says, Joab said to the man who told him, saying, you just saw him? Why did you not? Oh, well, he just said, I just saw Absalom hanging in a Tiberneth tree. <laughs> I mean, it sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? 
But you know something? There's something real interesting here about this story that a lot of people don't catch. Absalom represents rebellion, doesn't he? Now, now, in our old sin nature, friends, we are all in rebellion to God. Now, we may not always like what God does, but we're in rebellion to God. Just like Absalom was in rebellion to David. And it is interesting that, that Absalom ends up hanging on a tree between heaven and earth. Jesus became our rebellion. He took our sins on the cross and he hung on a tree between heaven and earth. And so Absalom is a type of the sin in which Christ died for. Notice, Joab said to the man, you just saw him? Why did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have given you 10 10 shekels of silver and a a belt. (laughs) Boy, it must be a pretty fancy belt. (laughs) I'd give you 10 shekels and a belt. You know, I I wonder oftentimes how many people would sell out what they're told to do for a lot less than 10 shekels and a belt. But, um, you know, here uh, Joab said, well, uh, you just left him there. The idea that I think Joab was saying there, you left him hanging there, he could get away. That was the idea. But the man said to Joab, though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you, Abishai and Atai, saying, beware lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Now, this is interesting to me because he is reminding Joab that you're not to mess with him. So, first of all, we know that Joab heard it the first time. Now this guy is saying, you were there and I saw you and you know that you're not supposed to do that. You know, the Bible, interestingly enough, says, moreover is the servant warned. (laughs) Friends, let me tell you something. God God has a way of warning us. Have you you ever decided to go out on a backslide binge, you know, and you're driving to a party, you know, and and like, you know, you think, hey, this is really cool, you know, I'm going to have, you know, I'll be all right, God. And, you know, we're punching around the radio and we come across Christian radio station. Oh, you know. No, oh, that was just a coincidence. And we drive up, and in front of you is a, you know, a CSN bumper sticker on the back of a car in front of you. You want to turn, you know? Just, I mean, just the way God has a way of reminding you that, hey, you know, you're getting out there. Well, this was kind of that call. Now, now, notice, notice this. Now, see, a lot of times it ain't what the Bible says, friends. It's what the Bible doesn't say that gives you a pretty good understanding that there's something more going on than what you see. Because it's what you don't see that sometimes is pretty revealing. Notice, let's look at this. A certain man saw it and told Joab. Now, all the way through the Bible, sometimes you'll find names mentioned about people that you don't know. Sometimes I've even heard guys on CSN say, and a guy's with a bunch of funny names. But here we find this guy says to Joab, don't touch. You, you heard what the command was, don't touch him. Now, now, you say, well, so what, Mike? What are you saying here? Isn't it funny that the man is unnamed? It's also noteworthy that when Abraham sent his servant back to Haran, where he was from, to find his son a wife, that we remember that that whole picture is an interesting picture because we remember here's Abraham sending a servant to find a wife for his son whom the wife or the to-be wife has never met before. 
And so he doesn't know who to call upon. So he waits and he watches and he said, Lord, whoever comes up and wants to water the camels, that's the girl that you have for me. Well, we remember the story that there was a girl that come up and said, hi, want me to water your camels? Now, just to let you know, camels are thirsty critters. And all the water in those days had to be drawn by hand. And so, so the water there, it had to be brought up over and over and over again. And this is something that somebody of a servant's heart does. The reward for it was that he was going to introduce her to a man she had never met to become his bride. Now, think about it a minute. The Holy Spirit is a servant and does, goes out into the world today looking for what? A bride for Jesus. We're called the bride of Christ. Now, none of us have ever met Jesus in person. We've read about him. We've heard about him. Just like the servant told this girl all about uh, what her master's son was like. And, and so she said, okay, I'll go. Now, friends, again, this guy could have been, you know, really ugly. But she said, I'll go. And, and, and so anyway, we remember the story that she went. And, and they hit it off just fine. But the point is, is this. The servant that was sent was unnamed. And I believe the reason the servant was unnamed is so that we understand it's not a person, but it is a spirit. Or you might say that was a real servant there. But what I'm saying, it's a picture type of the Holy Spirit today. I believe the reason this servant here is unnamed is because I believe this is what the Holy Spirit does as well. When we're about to get in trouble, the Holy Spirit comes and reminds us saying, hey, hey, wait, wait a minute, don't, don't do that. Remember, remember what the king said. And we go, well, you know, uh, I don't really care. I'm going to do what I want to do. Isn't that the way it works sometimes? The servant here is not named. And I believe the reason the servant isn't named is so that we would understand this is oftentimes the way that we are as Christians, that God sends his Holy Spirit, unseen Holy Spirit, to remind us of what God says. This is what we call conviction. Now, condemnation is different. We talked about that before. Condemnation drives you away from the Lord. Conviction brings you to the cross because we realize at the cross is where there's forgiveness and love and restoration. And that's what we look for in a relationship with God. And that's Pastor Mike Kessler, Senior Pastor at the River Christian Fellowship with Second Samuel on It's Time. If you'd like to have your own copy of today's episode, you can obtain one for free from the daily iTunes podcast. If you want a hard copy, you can give us a call at 800-357-4226 to place your order. And while you do that, don't forget that 2 Samuel is part two of the first and second Samuel series available from the River Christian Fellowship. Please tune in next time for another relevant Bible study on It's Time. It's time.